I'm Jordan. And I'm Donnie. And this is a podcast about the stuff in our New York City apartment. How we find it. Where we put it. And why we're into it. Welcome to Apartment 26. So we have been quiet on here recently to allow space for Black Lives Matter and for people sharing really important information and also information about their own creative projects and elevating their own voices and having other people elevate their voices. And we wanted to come back with an episode saying pretty resolutely that Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. and sharing our journeys to educating ourselves about this topic and action items um, that we're going to engage in now and in the future. Because we come on here and we talk about home and by extension, the safety of home. And that is our privilege because black people do not experience the same safety of home that we do especially when the police are coming into their houses and murdering them. So we didn't want to tack this on to the beginning of another episode or make a passing comment about it, but really wanted to talk about what our role is and can be in engaging in this topic. Yes. And for me, a lot of that has to do with educating myself and reading about this topic. My journey to this was longer than I'd want it to be and is ongoing now and forever. But there are a bunch of books that I've read that I've really liked surrounding this topic. And so I wanted to share some of those and I'll link a bunch of them on in the show notes as well for people who are interested in doing this sort of reading. Um, I read White Fragility recently after taking a Um, diversity training at work and I loved it and recommended it to literally every white person I know I like (laughs) hounded Donnie every minute until he read it because he was like actively reading something else Um, it is by a white woman and it's a discussion of how our whiteness um, how we experience whiteness and how we don't talk about whiteness and how we need to be talking about whiteness and what the experience of being white is and how it interacts with the experience of blackness. And there were a lot of really good takeaways for me in it in terms of ways that I can be better in dealing with people of color um, and the ways that I can show up for them and in situations that are racially tense to behave the way I'd like to behave, behave in a way that's helpful um, rather than dismissively or centering myself in it. Mm-hmm. I think, too, having just come off a pretty tense open discussion with a school I contract to, um, one thing that I really liked about the book is that it discusses the, I mean, the shields, for lack of a better term, that protect white fragility, right, and the levels and the defenses that people put up to avoid conversations and ultimately, fundamentally, to 
defend whiteness and white supremacy and white supremacist ideals within themselves, within an institution, within a home. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would, if you read nothing else, I would say read this because it helps, it helped me center my own experience not center my own experience, what am I trying to say? Understand my own experience relative to the experiences of others and how I can use the experiences I've had to um, be helpful in situations when others are trying to talk about their experiences rather than being harmful unintentionally. Yeah. I will say, though, that this shouldn't be all you read. That's true. Because it is fundamentally a white-centered book. Yes. And we should be reading black authors and we should be supporting black authors. And that's why I am, um, sharing these black authors as well. I read between the world and me way, way too late, just like years behind on it. <laughs> and it was so, so good. And I think I do a lot of nonfiction reading in the terms of, um, like, instructional books or sociological books or um, like data driven books and this is a nonfiction piece it is the author's letter to his son about their blackness and there's so much voice in it mm. and that's not something I generally or have been reading in a while and so it was so resonant with me to hear his voice and um, have him tell his experiences and just let it be like emotionally resonant and have that be the teaching rather than a more sociological perspective on it of like a list of action items necessarily mm -hmm. I also uh, read this after Jordan put it way off uh, <laughs> I basically most of this reading list was Jordan getting these from the library and being, being like oh yeah I should probably read that book oh yeah, I remember when that book came out. I meant to read that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I will say, a book that I've read and recommend to everyone in education is For White Folks Teach in the Hood and the Rest of Y'all Too by Christopher Emden. And it's pretty specific to education, but I think if you have any kind of passing interest, not only in, like, teaching practice, but in, like, policy level big picture education it's an interesting book to start there are a lot of like non-fiction books by quite frankly a lot of white authors that talk about education policy um like i can't think of them right now the titles but i can picture pretty clearly the covers they're just like all white covers with like a broken pencil or i think one of them has like a lone desk and it's like <laughs> you know by these white authors talking about sweeping policy reform um and this is a book primarily about teaching practice but that touches on issues of policy written by a black man who is uh was a science teacher continues to teach science but also teaches at the higher level at columbia um and it's his pedagogy uh so really cool really worth checking out he also runs hashtag or co-runs i'm not entirely sure of the hierarchy of it um or co-facilitates is probably the best term hashtag hip-hop ed on Twitter and on Instagram as well they do Instagram lives and so for anyone in the education sphere really anyone with a kid if you're listening anyone with an interest in that sort of policy work or in childhood development really cool book to check out that I did not read after Jordan from the library <laughs> you said there were a lot of overlaps for you with white fragility as well that there were some 
key takeaways. Yeah. Uh, yes. I read... So I read Chris Enzen's book in a while ago. 2017, maybe? I heard him speak at South by Southwest EDU when I was there. And I was like, holy shit. This is some shit. And I got his book from the library, read it, got his book from the library, read it again, and then finally went and bought his book. Um, Because I was using it for a lot of research and writing I was doing at the time, kind of trying to frame my own work within reality pedagogy, which is what his uh, book is about. Point being, getting a little tangential, a lot of the work, I mean, it's called for white folks teaching the hood and the rest of y'all too, so a lot of the work is about white educators acknowledging their whiteness in order to move forward and have a more equitable and ultimately a more successful classroom. Uh, so in the work Emden lays out for educators to recognize their own whiteness, a lot of that was similar to the work uh, laid out in White Fragility for just like a general white people audience. Uh, but for white folks teaching the hood is specifically through the lens of education and of teaching. So yes, there were a lot of overlaps. Yeah. I also um, read Hood Feminism recently. It came out in February, and I think this was, like, the last book I got from the library before the library shut down, honestly. (laughs) And I loved this book because I think it talks about something that's really central to the white woman's experience, which is um, feminism and the advocacy that we do around that and hood feminism points out all of the ways that white women's feminism has failed women of color and femme people and i think those are really important things to hear um for white women for white women who think that feminism is the answer to see why perhaps women of color and femme people wouldn't feel that way. And what was really interesting to me about this is it had some overlap with the food advocacy reading I was doing at the time as well, talking about how wellness and health culture are really centered around white women and how that harms black women and women of color and the disservice it does to them in terms of food and their health. A last note on books for children's books and picture books. There are, I mean, just like a shit ton of sources. Most of them are like memed around or like shared around on book, uh, book Twitter, book Instagram, probably on book Facebook. I try not to be active on really Facebook at all. <laughs> um, but it's this graphic essentially saying that picture books in particular are mainly like white kids or animals and then representation from there on like plummets uh so if you are a parent or an educator hoping to find more diverse picture books in particular some sources to recommend there is a really cool podcast listen to called i'm double checking it right now i think it's the children's book podcast it's run by this librarian out of uh, a school in maryland he's a school librarian like an elementary librarian and he brings on authors and he does a really good job of interviewing uh pretty wide array of voices uh like black voices queer voices trans voices trying to highlight really marginalized voices in picture book writing and then another group that i i think it's a group it's like a facebook group maybe it's an organization i just found out about them because they held a hashtag 
Kidlit Rally for Black Lives Matter. This I'm double checking as well, but it's the Brown Bookshelf. Um, I'm pulling it up on Facebook. I rarely use this app, so here we are. Uh, the Brown Bookshelf, they just say education as their uh, tagline. Point being, they curate essentially a feed supporting black authors, black trans authors, black queer authors, and showcasing uh, not just their picture books, but also YA, uh, middle grade. So that kind of work is available as well for people trying to diversify their classroom library or like decolonize and diversify their home library for their kids. The Brown Bookshelf. And then if you want to listen, I would say the Children's Book Podcast is very much a podcast for adults. It gets into like the industry uh, and the artistry of creating books, but it's also pretty good. And then my action item for my reading and my education, I want to read The End of Policing, um, which is obviously a topic that's being discussed really extensively right now. And actually, right now, the ebook is being offered by the publisher for free, so mm. I will link to that in the show notes. I personally feel like I can afford this book, and so I want to buy it. Um, and I think to that end, I want to be more cognizant of buying books by black authors. I am a huge library user, as we've talked about extensively here, but I think that there is an importance to paying um, black creative people for their work. So I have to figure that out. I think maybe I need to figure out a better way to read ebooks because, again, we don't want a ton of books in our house. Um, but at the same time, I think paying for these things is important. So that's something I'm going to look into as well. Maybe just figuring out a way that it's more comfortable to read ebooks than to look at them on my phone screen because that's not my favorite. Hmm. All right. Let's see. My reading action item Kay. is, well, one, this is like a lame one. One that I did a while ago. I have this uh, collection edited by Langston Hughes back in the day, which is why I say this is a lame one. This is like... I also have an action item more relevant to today, but this is a book that's been sitting on my bookshelf for a while, and it's particularly cool because I'm like a big Langston Hughes fan. I teach a lot of his work, uh, and this collection is one of the few things that I know of. I'm a big fan. I'm by no means a scholar, so I'm sure people listening can like call me out if he's done more editing, more compilation work. Uh, but anyway, he edited it, and it's a bunch of voices, some like really famous, like names that you recognize from going through like a systemically white structured public school overgloss of the Harlem Renaissance and some voices that have really been like marginalized and unfortunately like erased from history and from literary history and it's a pretty cool collection it's one I've shared on my like poetry account a little bit but I'm only like halfway through it so I'm going to commit to finishing it Especially since it's a collection of short stories, it's something that I feel like I can read in nice little chunks. And my second action item, more relevant, is to start using more uh, black authored and black representative picture books in my classrooms and workshops. Boom. Nice. Uh, something else that I... I don't know what words are anymore. Um, something else that I really want to be doing is following more black Instagram accounts. Um, 
I could not currently make like one of those top 10 black people to follow on Instagram lists, which is absolutely my fault. And I think social media is really difficult in this time because on one hand it seems really petty and yet on the other hand um, a lot of stuff has been going around about the discrepancy in pay between black influencers and white influencers and follower numbers can directly lead to pay for black influencers and so I think it's important to have black people represented in my feed, not only for my own personal growth, but to show that I'm just as happy to see sponsored content from those people as I am to see sponsored content from white people. Mm. And so my action item here is to actively diversify my feed, which is more than a tokenism thing. It's about finding people whose work I really enjoy, whose stories I want to watch, um, whose stuff I'm going to like frequently. And so it's more of a deep dive than like, going through lists, but at the same time, there's so many lists going around right now that I feel like that's a great place to start and just say like, hey, someone I follow like already likes these people. Do I also like these people? Mm. Word. I will say, if we're continuing social media action items yeah. at present, it's my action item along with like the books I read, I'm sure I'll be putting up as like little book reviews on Instagram. My action item, I'm going to tie to Twitter, which is a hellhole of... God help us. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hellhole of a social media platform sometimes, but shout out to them for fucking blocking Trump's tweet. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg. For not. Point being... But also, like, the smallest shout out, because Trump has put up a lot of tweets and they blocked one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Twitter. Do well, better. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, yuck. Point being, my my Twitter feed is like fairly important professionally. Um, as someone who has been recently like signed to a literary agent, Twitter is I would say for better or for worse, but really for worse, a pretty visible platform uh, for authors, and in particular for like young adult MG, which is middle grade and picture book authors. And I have not done a good job, really curating my feed in particular with black disabled voices and twitter is a site with really a pretty big disability community um for a number of reasons one being that it is like fairly accessible and i it is accessible for like readers so a good twitter tip for y'all is when you use hashtags you should capitalize hashtags because it's easier uh, when readers are going across to share that with people who need that sort of supported reading of tweets. So capitalize, not like capitalize the whole thing, but like you would uh, each noun in a hashtag, right? So if you're writing Black Lives Matter, you capitalize the B, the L, and the M in the hashtag. And I've not done a good job of following those voices. And in the interest of publicly owning my own internalized racism, in part, it's because it's a professional platform and I wonder if I'm going to get called out, right? The disability community is pretty militant, rightfully so, about their language and about how they want to be represented. And I am a educator who goes into these spaces to work with youth with a wide array of disabilities. I started working primarily with autistic youth. Well, started, started, I started working with youth with intellectual disabilities 
moved to autistic youth and now in my work as a teaching artist and as a poet and writer, I'm really all across the board. And so, rather than try to check myself and check my own language, I have actively not really followed accounts that one, are incredibly relevant to the work I'm doing, right? And two, are going to allow me to grow as an author, as an educator, and certainly as a poet. So my action item is to follow those accounts, and if I get fucking called out for something, chances are I deserve it, and I'll need to learn from it and grow. We were listening to Chris Emden's Instagram Live uh, last night, and he said something really interesting to me that I'm sure has been said before, and I had just never heard it because I'm insulated by privilege, um, which was that if black people's pain has to be public, then white people's apology also has to be. And I think that that's part of this work as well. I also kind of feel this weird social media thing of like, what do I say and what do I do and how do I say the right thing and how do I not offend anyone and how do I take up the right amount of space? Um, And the answer is that like, I'm probably not going to and I'm probably gonna mess up, and I'm probably going to need to apologize publicly, which is something in White Fragility that I thought was really interesting. There's a whole section about apologizing, and I think that that's so important um, in this context specifically, and in life in general. And so that, um, that was something that I've been thinking about as well. This is really uncomfortable, and I think that one of the greatest things I've learned in therapy is that like, one can be uncomfortable and still exist but like discomfort does not have to end immediately and so like this is uncomfortable and that's okay and we gotta just keep doing it mm-hmm. yeah the there's also this create it uh i'm trying to remember her name but there is a well one where fragility addresses that in really kind of fascinating ways this idea of like like white discomfort to white valued in a way that like white discomfort can cause black violence like white discomfort of black bodies of black people often causes violence and yet as white people we have trouble working through this discomfort and have for generations willing to sacrifice black lives for the sake of our comfort um, but my point is there's a video of an educator who I should probably look up the name of her. She does this famous uh, PD with professional development. So, like I said, I just got done with like education things. So I'm throwing all sorts of like <laughs> wild ass education jargon. I'm going to be talking to everyone about IEPs pretty soon. It's going to be wild. Um, she does this professional development called like the blue eye, brown eye. Experiment? I don't know if it's an experiment. Blue eye, brown eye, something. I'm looking it up actively because uh, blue eye, brown eye. Point being, Jane Elliott, that's her name, Jane Elliott. And she was, as far as I know, an elementary teacher. There's a video of her doing this in the late 60s, early 70s. There's a video of her as a younger woman doing it. Now she's like this old, fierce grandmother who still does these trainings, as far as I can tell, um, based on what's been shared around the internet, 
And there's always this footage of people feeling incredibly uncomfortable, crying, barging out of the room, and she fucking, like, goes in. And so people, when they're feeling uncomfortable, she doesn't, like, soothe them. She, in this one video, gets in this lady's face and is like, are you in any physical danger? And the lady's, like, sitting there sobbing. She's like, are you in any physical danger? And she has, like, this kind of, like, I don't know, nasally, like, very, like, I don't know if it's New England, but it's definitely a Northeast tone to it. And so it's, like, even more intense in her, like, teacher voice, you know? Uh, are you in any physical danger? And this lady just keeps bawling and eventually gets up and bolts. And then later in the presentation, she comes back into the room and sits down. And she gets right back into this lady's face and she's like, no, you don't get to come back into the space until you apologize for what you did. And she says it a few more times. The lady finally concedes, stands up. And so this young woman, this lady, apologizes by saying, like, I'm sorry that there is racism in this. And before she can finish that sentence, Jane Elliott's like, bullshit! You're not, <laughs> you're not sorry about racism. We need an apology from every to every person in here based on your actions and your actions alone. And the like little snippet of that presentation ends. It's like wildly powerful shit. You should probably watch it. I didn't do justice to it by paraphrasing it. But uh, yeah, Jane Elliott. Check her out. Something that I feel very strongly about doing because I think um, it's really easy to feel powerless in these situations. It's really easy to say like, I support Black Lives Matter. My friends, the people I follow on Instagram clearly support Black Lives Matter. Like what am I gonna do beyond like my circle of people? Donating to me, donating my money specifically makes me feel like I am actively doing something, which I think is both good and bad, right? This can't be the end point of all of my action. But it feels to me like I can at least impact something. I can give money to the people who are doing the work because this is not work that I actively do and there are people who know better than I do what to do with this money Mm. in the service of this goal. So I personally have donated directly to Black Lives Matter. Um, I've donated to GoFundMes. There are a lot of families that have GoFundMes to raise funeral costs for people who have been murdered by the police. I specifically donated to Tony McDades, who was the trans man who was murdered in Tallahassee by the police. Um, But George Floyd's family has one. Breonna Taylor's family has one. There are probably some more local to you that you can donate to. Um, I just learned about the Oprah Project, which is a foundation that does um, food advocacy work and supplies um, free meals to trans black people. And they have just started actually two mental health funds where they will take donations and use them to pay for trans black people's therapy sessions. And I personally feel that therapy is important for everyone, and I can't imagine beyond the things that I deal with in therapy what it would be like to also have the compounded trauma of systematic racism. And so I think that black people should absolutely have access to therapy, and so I felt really good about my money going there. Uh, the Loveland Foundation does um, provides free therapy to black women specifically, 
and that's run by Rachel Cargill. Um, and it started because one year on the internet, she made it her birthday goal to raise a certain amount of money for therapy for black girls. And it turned into the whole foundation, which is really cool. And then individual bail funds in different cities. I donated to the Brooklyn Bail Fund, and they have since decided to stop taking donations and to refer people to other places, but there's probably one in your city that you can donate to, or they will recommend you to places that they want you to donate if they are full of donations at this point. We're talking donations? We're talking donations. Cool. Cha-ching! So... Your money, as a white person, <laughs> can probably do a lot. Because let's be real, it's white people, generationally speaking, making a shit ton more than everyone else. In fact, we've been stealing from everyone else to make more. So, if you work for a big corporation, private school, a small corporation, I would recommend advocating for matches from your employers. It's something I've seen a good amount of activists suggesting and it's one that I really agree with. I think it's an interesting concept and it's like a it's a pretty good way to hold your institution or your company accountable for shit, right? I think having conversations to address structural racism within an institution need a starting point. And a starting point as a white employee could be, hey, if I make these donations, will you do this? And your company's answer to that will probably dictate quite a bit about where the conversation can and should go next and how much work needs to be done structurally within the institution. So that said, as an action item uh, for myself, I also want to give a shout out to an institution that I really like called the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network. They're really great. If you don't know about them, you should know about them because autistic women and autistic non-binary people are incredibly underrepresented in the autism community. That said, on top of the cool work they do normally, they are attributing donations that you send them uh, specifically to causes related to Black Lives Matter and Black Disabled Lives Matter, uh, which is an intersectional offshoot of Black Lives Matter. You do have to tag your donations APOC, and I forget what exactly that stands for. Um, but Autistic People of Color, probably. Autistic People of Color. Thank you, Jordan. Because uh, that is the name of the fund that they are developing for that specific cause. Um, though if you also just give them money and forget to tag it, honestly, it's not really a bad thing. They do pretty amazing work. But in the interest of solidarity with Black Lives Matter, make sure if you donate to the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network, you are adding APOC to the description of where you want these fundings to go. I think it might just be in the like general comment section. Anyone who's given like a GoFundMe or any of those things knows like there's like a little message box, and that's where you put that. And I think that obviously there are so many different places to give money that are worthy of money, but something that's been interesting for me and something that I've been trying to do is think about these intersectional organizations um, because I think 
that there's a chance that they're receiving less money than perhaps the more general, upfront, visible organizations. Um, so the Ochre Project focusing on trans people or the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network focusing on people with autism, um, there's, there's a chance that they need money. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. What am I saying? I don't know. Okay. But I think you said what you're saying. What you said made sense. Okay, great. <laughs> to, Good. Uh, <laughs> to bounce off that, I would also like to add that as like an action item for myself and as an action item, I think, for people in general is that like right now the cause is, the cause is in everyone's like feed and everyone's face but these organizations are going to continue needing money so donations now are good and great and they're going really to fund direct action which we're seeing in the streets we're seeing people getting bailed out we're seeing in like health support when people get shot by rubber bullets which signed that fucking petition because what the fuck um but this kind of work is about momentum and it's about continuing momentum someone on twitter described it as a marathon right so if you don't have the money donate now because you got fucked up by COVID in your bank account and everything that happened with that, that's cool because months from now these organizations are going to need money and hopefully they're going to need money for restoration work but realistically maybe they're going to need money to like keep the fight and keep the momentum alive. Going back really quickly to matching, my aunt told me that the state of Arizona will, does some sort of like matching situation to your donations up to $1,200. So something that I want to do is look into seeing whether New York State or New York City has a program like that. If you're in Arizona, it's worth looking into that um, because you can donate to anything and the state will match you in some way. Um, but my biggest action item is to set up a monthly donation somewhere and to do a lot of research as to where I want that monthly donation to go because like Donnie was saying like this isn't going to be over in a couple weeks and this is still going to be a problem and we still want to be acting to fix it um something interesting that I read was about like donations to foundations being important but also giving money directly to black people being important and so part of my research is going to be toward patreons and things like that that put money in the hands of creators i already like Hmm. um i don't think i'd ever thought before about that but people are out there doing the work regardless of whether i pay them or not and you should be paid for your work Pay black people. Yes. Something. Which rolls into our next topic. Um, you missed a really cute hand motion. <laughs> we were rolling. There was a rolling hand motion. <laughs> yeah, which is to buy from black makers, which is something I'm really excited about because it's such a direct link to everything I think we're doing at this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, We're trying to give resources to help you find things that are good. And I want those resources to include black makers much more than they have, because I understand that when I'm out searching for something, very infrequently am I being shown black makers unless I'm actively looking for that. And there are fewer of them to begin with because of systematic racism. 
So I'm really excited. There's so many lists out right now that it's almost impossible to like not find someone making what you're looking for. You can make a listicle of the listicles. <laughs> and it still wouldn't add any organizational structure. No. Um, but we've already kind of started doing this with a few things. So I'm really excited to begin sharing these. And that's my action item is that not only am I going to actively use that as a search criteria when I'm looking to buy things, but also I'm excited to review them on the podcast and tell everyone else about them and tell people about things we like that we found because there's so many creative black people out there doing things and we should be talking about them. Do you like household product reviews? Do you like listening <laughs> to white people struggle on the road to become anti-racist? Well, boy, we have a podcast for you. Well, I think that I struggle with the idea of like making a list of black makers because obviously that's good work and important work right now, and it's you know um, amplifying those voices. But I want to continue just talking about them as well. I want you to come to an episode about our kitchen and just like have black makers shown to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a cool ass candle that we're gonna review. <laughs> That's true. We actually have two candles coming, so um, hopefully we can recommend those to you. And obviously, hopefully, we have more than two things to share. Yes, I was just saying. <laughs> but it's like it's in progress. Regards to our immediate purchases. Yeah, <laughs> we got some candles because we're low on candles. Because I don't know, we were burning a bunch. I feel That's like did we get other things recently? Like we, we just purchased a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, we're trying. So we're, if anyone has any recommendations listening, we're actively trying to purchase plants and planting materials from a black-owned plant store. And we found a really cool one. Called Natty Garden. Yes, but we can't visit it right now because we're self-isolating, which is for a future but really past episode. It's going to be a trip when that one comes out. Uh, <laughs> so we can't go get them and they also only deliver in their radius which like Bed-Stuy yeah, and Crown Heights which we are not in so we were scouring the internet for a black owned plant store which will deliver to us so if anyone has any recs let us know otherwise it'll be a while and we'll let you know what's up in Bed-Stuy yeah we're still going to Bed-Stuy because I'm really excited about their selection their website is great um, but we're not going to Bed-Stuy right now for health concerns Thanks for listening to this episode of Apartment 26. For more info on the stuff we talk about on this episode, check out the show notes linked below. And follow us on Instagram at apt26podcast. See you next time.